Good stuff. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. Um, thank you so much, girls. That was really good. Um, thanks, Judith and Paul, for leading us in worship. It was really good, too. First Sunday of Advent. I love Advent. Um, I think one of the reasons is uh, to be really materialistic. Anybody got their Advent calendar yet? No? Do you? We haven't got ours yet. Um, but I was actually really surprised, really surprised this week to walk into the shops and see that Advent calendars are still there. I was convinced that their, uh, their days were numbered. No? All right. No, the worst one was that everybody was silent. At least there was murmurings. That was the worst one. I went again this week because somebody gave me a round of applause last week's joke, so uh, that's all the fuel I need to keep going for another few weeks. Oh, was it? Um, Advent, um, just before we get to the reading, so over the next four Sundays, uh, we're going to be following along with our uh, Anglican brothers and sisters across the world, which for some reason has just really excited me this week. I think it's because that Saturday week um, we, had a, we had a quiz here that started at 8 o'clock last Saturday night and we were doing it with hundreds of churches across the UK, partaking in this quiz, raising loads of money uh, to see people come out of extreme poverty. And so there's just something about that. Like we couldn't physically see anybody but there's something about it in my head that I just thought, isn't this amazing? They were joined together with hundreds of other churches raising money for people who are in extreme poverty. And maybe that's what it is that, is, that has me uh, going to the lectionary. Because this morning, we join with brothers and sisters right across the world as they also come to the reading of Isaiah chapter 2, uh, verses 1 to 5. And we get to join in this uh, together the first Sunday of Advent. Um, so before I get there, I just want to make a few remarks around Advent, a few remarks about why I think this is a really important season, um, a few remarks I think why it, is, uh, why it is possibly my favorite part of the year. Um, and it almost, in many ways, it shouldn't be because I'm not a big fan of waiting which I am imagining if we were honest this morning, I'm sure there's not people who, anybody in the room is a huge fan of waiting. But Advent is for waiting. Advent is different from Christmas. Um, I think it's important to say that. This is, this is different from Christmas. And as we merge the, these two things together, Advent and Christmas, but Advent is, it's, it's different. It's different from Christmas. Because now, First Sunday of Advent, 27th of November, we are beginning to tell the story. We are beginning to anticipate, it's the language that the girls use as they read, the anticipated Christ, anticipating the one who was to come. So this is the beginning of the telling of that story. Um, the beginning of this story, it's not celebrating. We're not celebrating yet. We haven't got to Christmas. We, it's, not, uh, it's not doing. We haven't got to that place yet. But the beginning, we begin telling of the story with waiting. It's really important. 
I think it's important because it seems to be the story, the, the strong, there's a strong theme um, of pro prophetic lament right throughout the Old Testament prophets as they begin to point us, as they begin to give us clues to the anticipated Christ. And over and over again, we have this lament, how long, O Lord? They were waiting year after year, decade after decade, even century after century about this one that was promised, this one that was anticipated, and they're still waiting. And you can't help but you can't help but feel with them. You can't help but empathize with them. How long, O oh Lord? And the thing is, whether we like it or not, waiting is 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 essential. And I know that we've talked about this. There's been moments throughout the last year or so that we've talked about the importance of. Uh, quiet times, we've done that in our, in our midweeks, we've talked about solitude as something that's really important um, right at the start of the year. So some of this stuff I think you've heard before, I've heard it before, I've talked about it before but I still, I still can't struggle a wee bit with recognizing that uh, waiting is essential because it's, it's when my soul, it's when my soul goes, grows quiet and contemplative um, that I think that is where that we have the capacity, um, the capacity to begin to discern, the capacity for awareness to discern what it is that God's doing, what it is that God's saying. And if we believe that waiting, we, if we believe that, that it is in that place of quietness, uh, of contemplation, that we begin to get a sense of what it is that God's doing, we create the capacity to discern what the Father is doing, then waiting becomes essential. And I think it's also worth saying, I think it's also worth saying, even though I've said it loads of times, the ways of God, we're going to look at the ways of God mentioned in Isaiah 2. I want to suggest that they're predominantly small and quiet. I know that we want I know that we want the big thing. We are attracted where emotions are driven by the big thing. We want the big moment in the worship time. We want the big like, purpose that's going to completely define our lives and platform us and position us. Maybe not all of us, but that, we, we think that's the way of God. But I want to suggest that the ways of God are um, predominantly small and quiet. Even when we get to Christmas, even when we get to the birth of Jesus, it's in a small backward town no one knows about it apart from uh, apart from a few shepherds um out of the way quiet small as were I, I read this I read this um during the week in a blog the ways of god are about as loud as seed falling in the ground or bread rising in an oven the ways of god are about as loud as seed falling in the ground or bread rising in an oven. So, so let me finish off these sort of introductory remarks by also saying this, and I felt, felt I really felt, I felt the weight of this this week. Um, and I've maybe shared it with a couple of people. Waiting equals not having. Waiting means that we don't yet have. Waiting means that there is still lack. Waiting means that, um, that we, yeah, that we don't have. I think that 
And if you think that I'm always having a go at the sort of the consumerist culture that we are living in, you're right, I am. We are in this consumerized world. We are in this image-driven world that I think that's what conditions us to feel shame for not having, to feel shame for lacking, and to feel shame for waiting. And so I don't know what it is about, I don't know what it is about that that felt heavy this week. But for some people that in their waiting, in what seems like a lack, they've been conditioned to think that they need it now. They've been, we've been conditioned to think that if it's not happened yet, there's something wrong with us. In that, in that waiting, we end up uh, feeling shame for not having, for waiting, for lacking. I think, of, I think I just felt the joy, as heavy as I felt around that sort of train of thought, the joy when I remembered those words of the psalmist in Psalm 25, verse 3, for those that wait upon the Lord, there's no shame. There is no, those who wait upon the Lord will never be put to shame. Those who wait upon the Lord will never be put the shame. So there are, I suppose, introductory remarks about around Advent, around waiting, uh, sort of set us up a wee bit for the next number of weeks. And so today, um, if you have your Bible or your phone, you want to follow along here. Um, Isaiah chapter two, verses one to five. The word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall, he shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come let us walk in the light of the Lord. Now, if I was a proper Anglican, what would I say now? Thanks be to God. For the re- Is that it? And you say something back to me now? Sorry, sorry. Forget about it. Ah, this is the word of the Lord. What a, let's get into the Anglican spirit here. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Wendy. Um, so I love this verse. I absolutely love these verses, and maybe that's what it was. Maybe in some ways, maybe in some ways, it was nothing to do with joining in with hundreds of other churches and sort of confessing. I think it was, but whenever I seen that the first Sunday of Advent in the lectionary was Isaiah two verses one to five, mind was made up. Um, these words I think are powerful. Here is Isaiah prophesying weapons being turned into garden tools. This is powerful, it's stunning, that this is what Isaiah, this is the world that Isaiah was imagining. 
when he began to think of the anticipated Christ, began to think of the, the, the Prince of Peace coming, began to think about an, a, a reimagining of the world, of the kingdom to come, he's seen weapons being exchanged for garden tools. And so Isaiah, we need to remember the waiting here. Like this was written in 740-ish, 740 BC, 740 years before Christ. This is what Isaiah had seen. This was the world that Isaiah was reimagining. Imagine that wait. 740 years ahead of time he had began to see and uh, I'm sure whenever people heard this prophetic word in the days to come we're told that's what we read in verse 2 of Isaiah 2 in the days to come when Isaiah when is it going to be someday I'm sure they didn't think it was going to be 740 years before they began to see something of this world uh, that the prophet had, had was reimagining and that's that's the gift of the prophets to us and the prophets suffered because they were reimagining a world that the principalities and the powers, they, want, they, all, they wanted to keep the status quo. They wanted to keep the power. They wanted to keep everything the way that it was. And so that's why over and over again, the prophets and the poets were persecuted because principalities and powers wanted to keep things the way they were. They wanted to maintain the status quo. But the prophets began to reimagine another world, reimagine a world that. Uh, that would just, whenever this anticipated one would come, would just completely turn everything on its head, change everything. And so Isaiah sees a world. He sees a world where people make the world a garden rather than a battleground. And I'd almost encourage, like, you'd have to, like, I'd almost encourage you just to think about that today. You think about, you can go to the wars of this world and begin to think about that, but maybe just you could think about it in your own backyard. You can think about it in your own family situation. So this is what Isaiah was pointing us to. He was pointing us to see a world where people make the world a garden rather than a battleground. And I've asked the guys at the back just to share a couple of photographs here. One of the, one of the, one of the guys, one of the authors or activists or whatever title you want to give him that's inspired me uh, hugely over the last number of years is a guy called Shane Claiborne. And Shane Claiborne wrote a, wrote a book in 2019 with a guy who runs an organization called Raw Tools. And the book's called Beating Guns. And the subtitle is Hope for People Who Are Weary of Violence. I'm not going to spend loads of time on this, but just there's a few pictures up here. Um, that's, the, that's the front cover of the book, uh, if anybody wants to, to take a look at that. And so this is what he does. These are, these are old guns, old weapons that have been turned into shovels, and whatever those other garden implements are. <laughs> I know of a shovel and a brush. What other tools is there? Spades. Thank you. Anybody else? There we have spades and stuff. Isn't that incredible? Old guns, old barrels of old guns, uh, the metal uh, melted down to form garden tools, literally literally what Isaiah was prophesying, where weapons of war were, ex were turned into, were exchanged for garden implements. And this is, the, this is one of the guys, this is Shane himself, um, melting it down, melt, taking all the weapons that people have given 
melting it down and turning it into garden tools. It's such an inspiring read. It's beautiful to read, and I'd encourage you to do that. In fact, this is what he says. If we believe the prophets are right, then we can't help but begin in acting it now. We adjust our lives now to get ready for the future that we know is coming. If we believe the prophets are right, see, it wasn't just Isaiah that prophesied this. Micah said the same thing. Micah said the same thing. There's going to be a day of the kingdom. The kingdom, what it's going to look like is weapons of war being exchanged for garden tools. And in light of that, Shane Claiborne says, we adjust our lives now to get ready for the future that we know is coming. Verse 5 says, O house of Jacob, come let us walk in the light of the Lord. Come let us walk in the light of the Lord. He says that in response to this, they, they shall learn, uh, neither shall they learn war anymore. War is over. Um, that's a, is that a Christmas song? No. War is over if you want it. Actually, that's probably a good, that's probably a good, I thought more about that. War is over if you want it. For us, if you've, if you've chosen to walk in the light of the Lord, war is over if you want it. And I know that like, I'm not naive enough to, to, to dismiss all that is going on in, in our world. But what does it look like to walk in his ways? What does it look like to walk in his paths? What does it look like to choose to walk in the light of the, the, light of the Lord? And which wars do we want to talk about? We could, I know that our minds run, rush to Ukraine and other horrific wars that are taking place around our world. I don't want to take away from that, but I, as I've already alluded to, to start, think about, think about our own wars. Think about, and I'd be sensitive with this, within family, within friendships, within our neighborhood, neighborhood wars. Or maybe social media wars. That's a real thing, isn't it? Facebook wars. What about those wars? What about beginning to challenge yourself around that? What about beginning to think about, is it time that we turned our words that cut like a sword to words that cultivate love and respect? Maybe you don't have guns to exchange today. You don't have swords that you're going to bring to the front for us to turn into garden tools. I wouldn't know what garden tools turn them into anyway, as you've discovered. But what about, what about that challenge for us? We don't have those weapons, but we have this one in our mouth. What about if we learnt to turn our words that cut like a sword to words that would cultivate love and respect? See, James, half-brother of Jesus, in James 4, and I say that just because I think James knew what he was talking about. He said the war, what, 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 the war that, uh, where does this war come from? Sorry, I'm going to have to find it. After Hebrews, come on. Sorry. Uh, not before. Those conflicts and disputes uh, among you, where do they come from? Do they not come from your cravings that are at war within you? The cravings, those evil desires he goes on to talk about. See, the war out there, 
whether it's way out there, stuff that um, is taking place around our world that's horrific, or whether it's in our, on our neighbourhoods, or whether it's on our social media, the war out there, if James is right, comes from the war that's in here. Where, uh, where does all the disputes, where does all the conflict come from? James says it's coming from the war that's in you. War out there comes from the war that is in here. And, and Amelia, when she was she read, talked a wee bit about, she brought us back to the beginning, the story of Adam and Eve. And I think that's, that's, where, that's where most of our problems originate. And I want to suggest to you it is the, the, the desire to be right at all costs. I think that's something of the evil desire that um, James is even alluding to here. And it can't, we can go right back to Genesis 1. We can go right back to the beginning of the story and see that from the very beginning, Adam and Eve desired they prioritized the desire to be right. Prioritized the desire to be right. And again, I read in a blog this week, war is the offspring of prioritizing being right over being in relationship. War is the offspring of prioritizing being right over being in relationship. There's this desire within us we see it right from the very beginning, to be right at all costs. It's why they decided that they couldn't resist the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. They wanted to, wanted to, to have that power, I guess. They prioritized the desire to be right over relationship. And so in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3, in, in Isaiah, I'm reimagining reimagining the world he's telling us about the ways of God he's telling us about what it is to walk in his paths and so just in in closing this morning we have the privilege of I suppose of not being in the position that Isaiah was in we have seen we've known that Jesus has come known his forgiveness we've known his love and his mercy and his kindness so we have the advantage of looking at this side of the cross but I think it is worth saying as we think about what these paths look like or what these ways look like Jesus shown us Jesus showed us how to how he chose relationship over being right See, if Jesus had, had of, things would have been looked completely different if Jesus had of chose being right over relationship. And then what it meant, that what it meant for Jesus, he didn't go to war. Why he ended up on the cross, he didn't go to war to defend being right. He did the opposite. He forgave his enemies and he trusted the rest of it. He trusted all of it to God. Completely reversed completely reversed the narrative and that's what Isaiah was prophesying I think that's the world that he was imagining where Jesus would come and weapons of war would be turned into garden tools Jesus taught us to value relationship over being right 
Jesus taught us to value uh, forgiveness over vengeance. Taught us uh, to trust God rather than fighting for our rights. And so I'm just going to read these few verses again. Next week we're in another cracking prophecy, Isaiah chapter 11. I'm just going to finish with these words again. This world that Isaiah reimagined. And then um, Paul's going to come and finish with one last song. In the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord.